Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. Today, James begins a five-part series regarding salvation. As we enter the Christmas season, James desires to share a few ways in which salvation is disclosed in the scriptures. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at seaoffire.org. You can also view James's latest videos on YouTube at Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to strengthen and build up the church. Father in our God, as we approach the Christmas season to commemorate and remember the incarnation of your Son, the Word made flesh, I ask that you reveal yourself in time eternity before that great almighty coming of our Savior. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, wisdom, insight from your Spirit, that we might know you and the power of your salvation and the wonders of your grace, the mercies of your provision. To the end, we lift your name on high, now and forever, to praise your Son, to the glory of God the Father, world without end. We ask this in the name of your Son. Amen. <clears throat> so, as we briefly mentioned in our last session, what we are going to start doing is, it, this is going to be an introduction into a five-part series regarding salvation. Today we are going to consider somewhat of what salvation entails, so in other words, somewhat defining it, and from what or from whom we are saved, and then we'll look at some promises of the Christ to come. And I have my ideas of the topics to come in the preceding weeks, but I don't want to disclose those because those are, you know, those are subject to change uh, by God's by God's will. However, so salvation salvation we've discussed this, but salvation has a few different meanings in the Bible, especially in regards to the Old Testament. You know, there's there's saving from an enemy when you're healed. That's a salvation, you know, and we know it in, t in terms of even just saving time, you know, I mean, if there's no traffic or, you know, this kind of a thing, it saves you time or saving money. However, we also know when there's a great heroic event, you know, if somebody's drowning or something to that effect, a person, God willing, saves them from death. Okay, so salvation is always a salvation from something, okay? So, saving time, it's salvation from wasting a bunch of time. You know, salvation from a, a sickness or an illness is to save us from the decay of that illness and the continuation of that illness. Salvation from an enemy, obviously, is, from, is salvation from the oppression of an enemy. Salvation, and it's... Christological perspective is salvation from death, salvation from sin, salvation from God's wrath. That's what I want to start to introduce to you here. This is, this tends to be somewhat unsettling, not only for fallen men and women, but for Christians. And what, what I hope to do is to show you the great providence even in and through the judgment of our faithful and loving and amazing God, okay? Many Christians, 
ignore the Old Testament because they see God as this harsh, you know, ruler, this harsh God who is always destroying and judging people and all the rest. And they see Christ as this loving hippie. And we've seen bits and pieces. And I implore you to read the Gospels and continue <laughs> with, that, with that judgment of Christ. Christ is very striking with his words. He's very striking. He calls people hypocrites. He calls them broods of serpents. You know, he calls, he uh, turns over the money changers. He, he makes a cord of whips. He's not this, you know, we have a picture of him that I hope to dissuade us from. Okay, to see the fuller context of salvation. As we approach Christmas, we see the babe lying in a manger, and we hear, you know, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he made, which is hogwash. He was a baby. He was a human child. He was just as naturally human as any of us. This is just a made-up fantasy. Okay, and, and, and I think that the tendency is... This is a wonderful season. Most, again, even fallen men, you don't have to be a Christian to appreciate this time. It's a time of giving. You know, there's a spirit in which Christmas is a time of giving. It's better to give than to receive, which Christ himself said, as we know from Paul, uh, but we know Christ himself said that. So basically, the heart of Christ is exercised even in fallen men and women. When we are able to, God gives us his moral code, basically. There is an objective morality. And though men and women are, are fallen and the hearts are, are corrupt, they're not absolutely corrupt. They're not utterly depraved. God has given us his image. And so we do know generally the difference between right and wrong where we get lost is ignoring the God by whom this morality is dictated. Okay, so what I want, what we're going to start to see, at least in the beginning of this particular message, is God's judgment really even against his people as well. We'll start to consider a little bit of, of, of others, you know, fallen men and women whom he won't save. But remember, when we started this series, or the previous series, the series of men and women in the Bible, and we've considered Genesis chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 15, where, where God says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, this is to the serpent, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. We've discussed this. It's referred to as the Proto-Evangel, or the Proto-Euangelion, if you want to get all fancy. That just takes it straight from the Greek. Euangelion, which is where we get the word angel. And again, angel is a messenger. So this is the first message of the gospel. It's a somewhat veiled. You know, you don't see Jesus in a manger from this verse. You know, you don't see the, the coming and the culmination of the Messiah. However, this is when, when God had told Adam in the day, you know, I forbid you to eat this fruit. You may eat of any of the other trees, but in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, by God's grace, they did not die that day. By his grace, he spared them. 
brothers and sisters, as much as we have consternation about God's judgment and, and God calling Israel to destroy and utterly annihilate people, it's by His grace that they continue. It's by His grace that they lived that long. Okay? God is absolutely sovereign. The only reason we have compulsions and consternations regarding some of what we see in His own Word is because He has given us a framework. However, that framework is not to judge God or really even other men. It is to judge ourselves. So, before we start seeing God as this tyrant, as this terrible dictator destroying everybody, let's consider ourselves and the foolishness and the blindness that we ourselves have. Again, going back to one of the things I see most obvious is this this idea, this vacuous idea of love. And we've just, we had a two-part series regarding love, where, where we kind of talked about this, where love is just this emotion, it's just this feeling. It's just, so it doesn't matter really who or what you, you know, there are these, there are these certain provisions, these certain provisos, right? They have to be of a certain age. And even that's starting to get obscured. Okay, so without saying anything about the most obvious one, okay, that is seen from the light of our own ideas and not God's. That is a distortion of God's truth. We make, out, we make God out to be a liar. So when we're judging and, and you know, discerning God's judgment as, as wicked and everything, we ourselves are wicked. We take his gifts, we take his providence, we take his mercies, we take his grace, we take his creation, we mar it, we deceive ourselves, we deceive ourselves. So, what I want to start doing, the way I want to kind of introduce this, is God answering Job. We're going to return to Job, okay? Job says in, in uh, Job chapter 13, 15, and 16, and again, he, he has these three companions, and a fourth one comes, and he is the youngest one. He's actually better than all these other companions. The companions are, are, are accusing him of sin. He needs to repent and all of this, and, and Job can't think of a, re a, a reason, basically. And he's continually faithful. And all of what he says, he does not sin. The Bible says that clearly. So, in chapter 13, verses 15 and 16, it says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. In other words, in the presence of men. In the presence of men. God, if I'm wrong in this, just like we've seen his servants do, okay? And even Samuel, in our previous session, he says, you know, if you have anything against me, God is witness, is anointed as witness, say so, and I'll make it right, okay? But, but basically he's saying, you know, even so I'll defend my, way, my own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite could not come before him. Let's remember that. Let's just keep that again in the back of our minds for a time. Now, Elihu comes, he's the la last one who comes, he's the youngest one. 
And he actually has some comforting words and some, and some wise words. He's actually, he, has, he, he, he reflects some sort of wisdom. However, in chapter 38, God answers. God, so we're going to read um, chapter 38, verses one, uh, verses 1 through 18. He's responding to Elihu to Job. Okay, so let's read through this. We'll consider another portion. But I think this, if you listen, we're not gonna, we'll talk about it briefly. But listen, listen to what God says. Listen to what God's saying. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. So Job, I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements. Surely you know or who stretched the line upon it. To what were its foundations fastened, or who laid its cornerstone, when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the seas with doors, when it burst forth and issued from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it, and set bars and doors, when I said, This far you may come, but no farther, and here your proud waves must stop? Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It takes on form like clay under a seal and stands out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and the, appraised arm, and the upraised arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea or have you walked in search of the depths? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth Tell me if you know all this. Chapter 40, verses 1 through 14. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. Job's response to, then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind again and said, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God, or can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor, and array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust forever. Blind their faces in hidden darkness. This I will also confess to you, that your own right hand can save you. Before we start judging God, where were you? when the foundations of the earth were laid. Where were you when he set the boundaries of the seas and told it, this far you may come and no further, your proud waves stop here? Where were you? And would you indeed annul my judgment? Are you really gonna judge my judgment? The all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipotent, and omniscient God? Who are you? Who are you, O oh man? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? In all honesty, that's kind of what we do. When we see God and you know we condemn him for sending people to hell, that's to justify ourselves. We think salvation comes through death. Basically, the way to heaven is to die. 
Everybody's going to heaven, except for Hitler. You know, that's it. Everybody else is going to heaven. That's a lie. It's a lie. We are not the creator of heaven and earth. God is. Have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like his? If you can, if you are God, if you're, if you're able to judge God, then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and beauty. Where's all that? Where's all that? You're apparently God. You're apparently the God of God. Array yourself with beauty and glory. Uh, disperse the rage of your wrath. You must have wrath. If you're going to be just, you must, have, you must have wrath. So disperse your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Go ahead. Try it. Try it. I try. <laughs> God changes men's hearts. Go ahead and try to humble men. Go ahead and try to bring them low. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. That's what God does. That's what God does because he is just. He treads the wicked down in their place. He destroys the people who are not his people and who will not be his people. Rahab? Ruth? Come on. There are people who who who, who were seeing judgment coming. Rahab especially. Ruth sees the faithfulness of her mother-in-law. And she knows who God is. When we know who God is, all of this comes in its proper perspective. That's why I continue to compel you and continue to implore you to seek him through his word. Then you will see these in their true light. All of this points forward to Christ, the Savior, the King of kings and Lord of lords, our deliverer from sin and death. Our deliverer, and we've mentioned this when, when people ask, you know, are you saved? You know, question. First question should be, saved from what? Saved from what? What are we saved from? Do you remember? God himself. It's an, it's an interesting thing to consider. And it's a reality that we must consider. God is just. God is holy. God is perfect. And he will not have any imperfections before him. That's why when he created all things, that was good. This was good. That was good. This was good. It was not good that man should be alone. God wants a fellowship with man. And he also wants a fellowship for the man. So he blesses the man with a companion, with a helper comparable to him. Remember? And God making us in his image, we are comparable in that perspective to be his helper, to be his servant. In that, in that uh, respect, we are made in the image of God. And therefore, we either turn toward him by his grace or we continue to turn away from him. And that incurs judgment. The only means of salvation, the only means by deliverance out of the one enemy we have no power over is God himself. The same one who is just to execute wrath is the same one who is merciful, full of grace, to save from that wrath.
I've mentioned, hell, we think of hell as this eternal fire, this pit, this dark and terrible place, and it absolutely is. I'm, I'm not here to tell you otherwise. But I am here to tell you that, that hell, the worst part of hell, is not the flame. The worst part of hell is not the darkness. The worst part of hell is eternal separation from God. Sin separates us from God. That's what Christ came to reconcile. Sin separates us from God. And if we will have that, if we desire that, again, God will give it over to us. There will be no, there will be no man or woman that God sends to hell that would have enjoyed heaven. Let's not forget that. Heaven is made for, or is, for those who want and desire and love God and want to be with Him, want this relationship, want this relationship that God has been pursuing and pursuing. We've seen that. We've seen a glimpse. We will continue to see that. Hell is completely cast out. It is being completely cast out. This is what you wanted. This is what you have. And they would hate. Heaven would be hell to them anyway. Hell, heaven would be hell to them. They hate God. Again, the problem with men and women is not that they don't know God. It's that they hate Him. And it's one thing to believe, that, believe in the existence of God. We were able to do that, to have this intellectual assent that God exists. It's another thing entirely to believe God. The, the serpent, first, his first temptation and his continual temptation, the devil isn't all that tricky. He basically has two different tricks up his sleeve that he makes up, he, he exercises in many different ways. But the first one was, hath God said? Hath God said? Has God really said this? And if he said it, do you believe him? That's the tempter's voice. And that's what we wrestle against. Has God truly said, and if he has, do we believe him or do we believe the serpent? Will we follow Christ or will we follow the devil? If we follow Christ, we, he takes us with him to glory. If we will follow the devil, we will be sent along with him and all his demons and all of his minions. So salvation is a deliverance from the ultimate death, the ultimate enemy. Let's recognize this, okay? As we come into the Christmas season, this is the introduction, so we'll mention this kind of in passing in weeks to come. But it's important to lay out at the outset what we're being saved from. He's not this vacuous baby in a manger. Okay? He's not this, this go-lucky hippie who basically just lets you do anything, is indifferent, he came to save you, so go ahead and do whatever you want. That is not the Christ we serve, neither, the, neither, neither is it the Christ in the Word of God. It's just not, hath God said, and if he said, do you believe it?
Do you believe it? Are you making God out to be something according to your own image? Do you make Christ out to be something that you want and desire, other than what you, what, what he, and who he is? Do you seek him? Do you even know who he is? The word of God, <laughs> in the history of mankind, it was very rare a man or a woman had the word of God at their disposal. Believe this or not, in back in the day, the children would, would learn it, and basically you would memorize the entire thing. You know, we have such a small view of mankind that in these days, you know, you're not, mature, you're not a mature man until 25. That is a very recent phenomenon. Very recent phenomenon. George Washington himself was surveying lands at 12 years old. He was a man at 12 years old. The maturity, sadly, has is on account of our fatness. We've grown fat. We've grown lazy. And so we don't, we don't, this, men died. Men died. John Wycliffe died so, so that we can have the Bible. Men died. This is a very recent thing where the Bibles are just in the houses of everybody. And they sit and collect dust. Very few take the time to seek God out through his word. This is our authority. And again, even when they do, they just want to read bits and pieces of the New Testament that they like. That they like. Or, you know, oh gosh, you know, I also hear this very humble attitude of, you know, well, we don't read commentaries, you know, we, we're, we just read our Bible. The Bible has been around for thousands and thousands of years, and these people think, well, we can figure it out ourselves. We have a history of early church fathers. I do read the commentaries. Clement of Rome, Clement of Alexandria, Alexandria Ignatius, Athanasius, Arius, well, not Arius, not Arius, Chrysostom, <laughs> Origen, Tertullian. I mean, there are many, many early church fathers that were there at the time of the apostles. Polycarp was raised up under the apostle John. We would be fools to ignore their commentary. We would be absolute fools, which continued to disseminate until Ambrose of Milan, and then he taught Augustine. About three centuries, about four centuries after Christ. We are proud, proud, boastful men and women should we ignore the testimonies of faithful men and women that God has given us over time. We have seen that in his word. What a foolish and blind thing to do to suggest we can get, do this all ourselves. And just so you know, the tendency is that they do read certain things that they like. You know, if they have a certain sin that they want justified before God, they'll read, you know, a certain biblical critic that aligns with that. They'll take everything out of context and not look at it themselves, not go back to Leviticus 18.22, where the context is obvious in what it's saying, but they won't do that. They just hear this commentator, this, this brilliant professor who wants to do away with the word of God, say that this word means something else, whereas the context is still there anyway. Anyway, this is his word.
This is his word, and if we ignore it, we ignore him to our own peril. So th that was Job, I mean, that was God um, responding to Job, and I'm sorry, that took a lot longer than I'd like. However, so I do also want to look at uh, Jonah chapter 2, um, verses 8 and 9. So again, this goes back to fallen men and women. What we considered with Job is God talking to one of his servants. So, look, you know, we're, we're not perfect on this side of the Jordan. And so, sometimes we're apt to find faults with God. And God, let's listen to God's response to Job. It's the same response to us. Okay, where were you? Where were you? Okay, now, looking at Jonah. This is just before God delivers him out of the whale. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Let's never forget that. As we continue to look at salvation, wrath is of the Lord, judgment is of the Lord, just so you know, creation is of the Lord, love is of the Lord, all humility is of the Lord, all of these wonderful good things are of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. And just real quickly, wrath. The wrath of God also is a goodness of God. I know this is hard to accept. I know this is hard to accept because we don't want to see anybody going to hell. And that's right. Nor should we. Okay? And God doesn't delight that any, that any should perish. But he desires all would come to him and have eternal life. But he will honor those who honor him. He would be an unjust God to send these people to heaven. He would, be, he would be an unrighteous God. He would be an imperfect God. And we'll kind of consider that um, when we go back to Genesis 15. Okay, I, I'm going to have to skip some because I took a little longer in the beginning. I'm sorry. Isaiah 51, 6. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will not be abolished. So those who dwell in it will die in like manner. So those who are of the world will perish with the world. That is a just judgment of God. I will honor those who honor me. Those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Lamentations. This one we are going to take a little bit of time on. Okay, we're going to read chapter 3, um, verses 1 through 26. And there were many I could choose from. I actually would encourage you to read Deuteronomy chapter 32 as well. That goes into more of the people. Okay, this one has to do with Jeremiah the prophet and, and his own anguish and what God does to him. And as you all know, I had a period of darkness myself, and so I, I, I relate to this more, and all I want to do is to show you that this is, not, this is not an exception for God's people. This is what he does to many, many of his own people, in particular to those he's called. This is Jeremiah. 
I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath, God's wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me, time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He has been to me a bear lying in wait, like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I have become the ridicule of all my people, their taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Through the, Lord, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So, Jeremiah, who was a faithful prophet, desired to serve God, even went against the false prophets, God laid him low. Not because of Jeremiah, but because of the providence of God. He will have men and women suffer just for the testimony for other people. Okay? If only for that. If not to refine you. But Jeremiah didn't seemingly didn't need refining. But even in the darkness, even in the darkest hour of his soul, he still remembers. And he cries out to God, Remember my affliction in roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. No matter how dark it is, no matter how much of wormwood and gall and bitterness that comes my way, I remember you. Therefore I have hope. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should have hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's always, continually, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we see around us, see the faithfulness of our God. See His, see His abundant providence throughout time. He has sent His Son now. This is before Christ's coming. And Jeremiah still has hope. They anticipate the coming of the Christ, of the Messiah. And Jeremiah attaches his heart to him before he even came. Much more should we, after his coming, when we see that babe in the manger, 
when we think of Mary covering him in swaddling cloths, those are made for sheep, covering him in swaddling cloths and caring for him, let's recognize who Christ is. He is the providence of God. He is the Son of God who came to save us so that we might find absolute glory. We will not have that this side of the Jordan. We will not have perfect peace in this life. We will not have ultimate glory in this life. We will not have the absolute fellowship with God in this life. However, we get a taste of all of these things. That's why I implore you, I, I encourage you to seek Him. Seek Him, and you will find Him. He's not far from any of us, even when we're far away. Should we turn and seek Him, we will find Him right at our heels, chasing us down the entire time. God is faithful. He will honor those who honor Him. Now, I want to consider, go back to Genesis 15, because again, God tells Abraham that I'm going to bless you, you know, with numerous, you know, your seed is going to number the stars of heaven. Now, just so you know, in Palestine, this is where he is, when you look up, there's no light pollution. You can see the galaxy. You can see all the hosts of heaven. It's amazing. So, and he, and God tells him, count them if you can. You know, if Abraham started counting them and actually never repeated one, he'd still be counting them to this day. What a wonderful God we serve. He's saying, through you, I will bless the world. Through you, through your seed, the proto-evangel, the seed will crush the serpent. Through Abraham, that seed is coming. Okay. But this is where, this is where, you know, God says, okay, um, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. What a wonderful verse. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. So again, Abram is rich beyond your wildest dreams. Okay, so basically he's saying, you've given me everything. You've given me everything, but, you know, what will you give me so that I might know this? I already have everything. The one thing I don't have, you keep promising, you know, a seed to come, but apparently it's going through my servant Eleazar. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir. But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. He will also be his Lord. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to, them, said to him, So shall your descendants be. This is the same as the father saying this to his son. His people will number just like the sand on the seashore, just like the stars in the heavens. And Abram believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. 
So again, I am the one who's doing this. Okay, Abraham, you're not rich because of you. You're rich because of me. And you will have a descendants like this because of me, not because of you. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I inherit, will inherit it? Now it already says that he believed God and it was counted to him as for righteousness. Abram's just wanting to know, how? How will I know this? You know, I'm old, Sarah's old, well, Sarai still, but we're both old. How can I know this? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. God is coming. God is coming. And when we are confronted with a holy and righteous God, it is though it is it's like darkness and terror falling upon us. His light compared to our light is utter darkness. His peace compared to our peace is utter terror. So terror and great darkness fell upon him. And, and he, then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years and also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Real quickly, he says, you shall go to your fathers in peace. That's to imply the resurrection. We will return to that in weeks to come, God willing. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven, and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. I am indebted to R.C. Sproul here, okay? He, he introduced this to me, and I have grown to greatly appreciate this passage. God reveals himself so many times in fire. Remember the bush? The burning bush. Remember the glory of God at the tabernacle, the pillar of fire, the pillar of the cloud, the glory of God as cloud or smoke, you know, and so forth. So it comes through the broken, the torn pieces as a smoking oven and a torch. When you made a covenant, this is what you would do. You would have to seal it with blood. So you would both walk through it, basically, and say, which is saying, should you not honor your terms of this covenant, let you be like these pieces. So what God is saying, as he goes through that, is saying, if any of my words fail, if any of my promises do not come to pass, let me be like these pieces. Let the immutable God suffer mutation. Let the infinite God become finite. Let the glorious God lose his glory and be God no longer. God seals his covenant with blood, just like his son. I want us, we need to see the absolute culmination of this particular passage that was given to Abram thousands and thousands of years before Christ came. 
to become that blood sacrifice, to seal the covenant absolutely, absolutely. Now all of his people will number the stars and the heavens and so forth. Now briefly, I did want to mention since, since Abraham had asked, you know, how will I know these things? And remember, you know, Zechariah, uh, when he was told about John the Baptist, you know, he didn't believe it, and he was struck dumb until John the Baptist was born. And we also saw that Mary had asked, how will these things be, since I have not known a man? And, and he, she's answered faithfully, so that was a faithful question. I, do, I did want to just mention, you know, in, in uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 26, but John the Baptist is shut up in prison, and, God, and Christ is doing all these works, and John the Baptist sends out two of his disciples to him and, and, and asks him, Are you the one to come, or should we look for another? John the Baptist, the one who was called to prepare the way of the Lord, he himself had a bit of doubt. So what Christ did was, had, the, had his disciples hang out for a while, he healed the blind, he healed the deaf, he healed the lame, he rose people from the dead. And then he told his disciples, go back to John, return to John, and tell him what you have seen. You've been witnesses, witness to me, to John the Baptist. The dead are raised, the blind are given sight, the lame walk and dance, and the deaf hear. That is pointing back to Isaiah. So John would have known. And he said, and blessed are those who are not offended because of me. Let's remember that, okay? Let's remember that. Whenever we, we want to judge Jesus or judge God, let's remember, blessed are those who are not offended because of him. Now, on the other side of this warning, on the other side of this wrath, I want to read a few things, and then we'll consider them somewhat briefly. Second Samuel Chapter 22, verses 26 through 28. So a few verses, but this is David's praise for deliverance. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. You will save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty that you may bring them down. Again, he's, he's saying... With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. In other words, those who, those who seek after God and His righteousness are filled with His righteousness and therefore become merciful. So to the merciful, you show yourself merciful. Uh, to, with a blameless man, blameless in, in the sight of God, in and through Christ, we are not perfect, but blameless. In other words, a decent man. Let me put it that way. You show yourself absolutely blameless and perfect. You reveal yourself as you are. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. I will honor those who honor me. We will continue to see the things that we have seen throughout the past year, really, but in particular, throughout the past few months. All of these get to kind of come back. And Hosea, uh, chapter 13, verse, verse 14, and part of this is attributed to Shakespeare. He wrote something to this effect in his, one of his sonnets. 
I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. Pity is hidden from my eyes. In the Septuagint, it says, O death, where is your punishment? O grave, where is your sting? Or Sheol, where is your sting? So so Hosea is saying, God will ransom us from the power of the grave. And and he and he will redeem them from he will redeem us from death. And he says, "O death, I will be your plagues. God is the victor over death. Christ is the ultimate deliverer, in and through the cross, and his resurrection, and his ascension, and his spirit. He has sent his people. O grave, I will be your destruction." Remember David who says, you will not let your Holy One suffer corruption. You will not leave your Holy One in the grave. (sighs) Pity is hidden from my eyes. Returning to Job, chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another how my heart yearns within me. What a wonderful passage. What a wonderful passage. For I know that, my, again, Job is suffering. Not, not because of anything he did, just like Jeremiah. Not because of anything he did. God allowed Satan to cause his suffering. And God continues to love Job. And, and in all this, Job doesn't sin. Job doesn't see God as some unjust God. He sees that he's sovereign. He knows that he loves him. And he knows he has a plan through this. As dark as it is, as terrible as his skin is, he knows that his Redeemer lives and he shall stand on the, at last on the earth. And after his skin is destroyed, this I know. In other words, once I die, that in my flesh I shall see God. He will give me a new body. Just like we've seen in the New Testament with with Paul. He will raise us up with a new body, a glorified body. That in my flesh I shall see see God, whom I shall see for myself. My eyes shall behold and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Again, you know, that day will come when that day comes. But I pray, God, that all of us have an eager anticipation for the eternal presence and glory of God forever, forever, abiding with God, being close by and seeing Him. All the mysteries vanish. Our faith is no longer faith. It is sight. That which our heart yearns for is culminated on that great day for eternity. Luke 121, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus literally means Savior. For all of this wrath, for all of the judgment that God exacts, justly he has sent his son to die 
He has sent his son to suffer that which we should suffer, that which we deserve. I, I'm indifferent on how you feel about that. I implore you to implore, to seek your Bible for yourself and see whether these things are so. If you don't think you deserve hell, you don't deserve Jesus. There's nothing to save. There's nothing to save you from. If there is no wrath, there's no need of God, or there's no need of Christ. And ultimately, if there is no wrath, there is no righteous God. We see these issues. We're always, you know, we're always seeking for this utopia, and, we, and men and women come up with these devisings and, and, and try to make it the more perfect world when they employ their own fallen wisdom to do this, and they make it more and more of a dystopia. Look, there's no utopia. Okay, there's no utopia coming in this world. Men and women have tried this throughout the ages. And here we are, <laughs> the pinnacle of technology and industry, and we're more fallen than we were before. There is no utopia. There is no heaven coming to this earth, except by the providence of God and the salvation of his son. He will reign upon this earth. But that only comes to those who honor him, who seek him, who see him for who he truly is, not what we want him to be. That is the tendency. That is the tendency of fallen men and women and loved ones. That is the tendency of even his people. Even of his people. Again, many people want to ignore the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. I might be biased because we all, you, you all know that's how I was saved. There is no Jesus. There doesn't make sense. Jesus doesn't make sense without the Old Testament. Without God destroying all those people, Jesus doesn't make sense. Salvation doesn't make sense. There is no salvation without wrath. There is no salvation unless there is coming a judgment. Nobody wants to hear this. Nobody wants to hear this. They want to hear flowery language. They want to hear Jesus came to save you so you can just do whatever. And then just go repent if you feel find it necessary. Anything you find is to totally justified because now you're filled with him. You, even when you come to Christ and you are filled with him, there is one authority that he has given over to us to know his truth. There is only one and that is not the preacher, that is not the minister, that is not your own hearts. That is not your own wisdom, which is fallen. God is God, okay? We've seen there's general revelation to point us to the existence of God, that God exists. Then the question becomes, who is he? Who is he? Then we find special revelation. And if you want to find, if you want to look through, I've taken the time, all the other, all the other writings of these other religions, there's salvation only found through Christ. I'll save you the time. And we can talk about it, but you can go ahead. I, I implore you to do these things. What I do not implore you is to 
Rest on your laurels and remain where you are. We are given this gift of life and we waste it. We waste it on these silly passing things. We will all have that day come. Not one of us is eternally as we are. All of us will die. Every single one of us has a day coming. And on that day, should it not come immediately, we will consider our lives. What a waste. What a waste to think of these innocuous wastes of time. And what do we say to Christ? He says, you know, I filled you with my truth. I gave you my, your, my Bible. I gave you my word. And you ignored it. I do not want you to seek him out of fear. I, I, my heart is, and I know it's his, is to seek him out of love. When you love these other things instead, they are your gods. No matter what it is, if, if you are not compelled to seek him, and you are compelled to seek these other things. They are your God. As we move and continue this particular series regarding salvation, let's see it more, it, it, at least more in its broader and correct perspective. Salvation is not this vacuous thing. It's not, it's not even seeing Jesus in a manger. It's seeing Jesus on the cross. It's a, yes, that is, the incarnation is what was anticipated. But with the incarnate, without, without the crucifixion, without the resurrection, without the ascension, the incarnation doesn't mean anything. We must know from what and from whom we're saved and for what and for whom we're saved and let us let us ask God to destroy the walls of our own sins and our gods we have this one life that is leading to eternity either eternity in darkness or eternity with God loved ones you know, many people will see that and decide intellectually, okay, well, I certainly don't want hell, so I'll go ahead and do that. I'll do what the preacher said, what the minister said. I'll start reading my Bible. And even that might actually be fruitful. But Christ has come to die for you. That babe in a manger grew humbly and was always humble and gave himself up as a slave. He came in the form of a slave, remember? He came to serve, not to be served, to give his life as a ransom for many. Why would any of us trade that in for such a temporal, passing, fleeting nonsense? These things that are new. The devil always comes out with something new, new and exciting, new and shiny. 
just like the rocks who can't speak or hear. Just like the wooden images that you bow down to. You will either bow down to the devil and to darkness and to sin, or you will bow before the majesty of Christ in righteousness and in glory. What I want, what I, what my desire is to show you the light out of the darkness, but there is no salvation, there's no sense in salvation without recognizing the darkness. Many just decide to ignore this because they don't want to offend anybody. Christ himself is an offense. He's an offense to fallen men and women. He's not an offense to those who are his. Let us follow our Savior. You know, as we approach this Christmas season, my prayer is that we see Christ truly for who he is and not simply as this baby who was sent to tell us all this great grand stuff you know blessed are you blessed are you everybody's blessed and doesn't matter what you do I came and I died on the cross so it's fine that is heretical that is, and that is a testimony of the Antichrist I'm here to tell you who Christ is. I'm here to tell you what the Word of God says. If you don't like it, then He will let you not like it. I can't force to turn your hearts. Seek after Christ, the things of Christ, this Christmas season and for the rest of your life. There's one, there's one meaning of life. It's not to waste it watching TV. It's not to waste it playing games. It's not to waste it doing anything other than glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. That is the purpose of mankind. That is our purpose. That's a glorious purpose. He has created us to glorify us in Him. What a wonderful gift. And Christ has come to bring that into its perfect culmination where we have that now. We have that now. We have the glimpse of that now. And I implore you, the more you seek Him, the more of a taste of heaven you will get. The more you rely on these, this brief time that we have, the less you'll be inclined to care. The less you'll be inclined to care. If you will not have Him, God will give you over to not have Him. He will not force your heart he will track you down. He will, he will testify to you. He shares the gospel with many. Many hear good news. They ignore it. They ignore it. Or they intellectually assent to it. Many different ways. We must see, see Christ for who He is and seek after Christ all the rest of our days. To the end, He is glorified we recognize that we are glorified in Him. That's why He came. That's why He came. He did not come to bring a bunch of slaves to heaven. He came uh, to free us from slavery, to free us from dark bondage. 
into his liberty, into his absolute eternal grace. Since he came, since he came and has given himself over for us, we shall enjoy him forever, should we seek after him. There's only one Savior. There's only one way of salvation. There's only one road. There's only one straight and narrow path. If we seek him, he will keep us on that narrow road into glory. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, I ask, I pray that you bless this time, that, um, that we are not discouraged, that we don't shrink away in fear. We seek after you in light, that your glory might surround us until we are so awestruck by you. You are all that we want and desire. Let us have hearts on fire for you, my God, for you manifest yourself in fire. So should we be the flames for which you burn. God, fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your wisdom. Fill us with your goodness and righteousness that we might seek you and be like you. For now and eternity, this we ask in the name of your Son. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life.